Welcome. My name is Rob Powell. Uh, I'm an associate here at Bristow's in the commercial and technology team. Uh, and I'm joined today by data protection expert, Jamie Witten, uh, who is also an associate uh, in our specialist data protection team. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Rob. So this podcast accompanies our annual data protection top 10 publication in which we set out the biggest topics and issues in the data protection world over the past 12 months. So today, Jamie, you and I are going to be talking about the phenomenon that is virtual voice assistance. Yes, we are. Um, so I guess it probably makes sense to kick off by defining what we mean by virtual voice assistance or VVAs. Yeah. So um, from, from my perspective, when we talk about voice assistance, we're really talking about the, the software and not the device. So think Alexa rather than the Echo Dot device that it uh, sometimes operates on. Um, so a voice assistant can really kind of be loaded onto any device essentially that has a microphone and a speaker. So the typical uh, example we, we all know is, is of course, smartphones. Um, voice assistants on TVs are, are also pretty common these days. But it really can be anything that, that has those two that has those two features. So we often see voice assistants now on, you know, anything connected in the home, including things like fridges. Um, so typically the device is, is always listening, um, but only for a wake word. Um, already, as, as we've gone into this topic, we've used listening, which I think is quite a kind of emotive word, uh, and we'll get into some of the scare stories later. But the device is, is always listening, but, but as I said, just for this wake word. Um, and the processing of, of, of that listening happens on the device. And it's only once it hears that wake word, um, such as, you know, OK Google or Alexa or Echo or whatever you've set it to, only once it hears that word does the device then start analysing the specific command you've been given and, and producing a response. So what are their main uses then, Rob, since you've just given such a good description of, of where <laughs> they come from? Thank you. Um, yeah, so I guess it, it began with, um, you know, simple kind of diary management, uh, you know, remind me to do this commands, perhaps, you know, asking it to set a timer and that kind of thing. Um, but it's now really progressed, I think, and it's become part of people's everyday use. So um, it's become integrated into the home as well. So you might use it to control various things around your house, including, you know, the lights, the heating, you might be setting up your washing machine to to, to come on at a certain time or that kind of thing. And people really tend to use them now as a bit of an extension of, of themselves, almost like a, a second brain. So, you know, maybe instructing uh, the voice assistant to make calls, to check the traffic or the weather, send emails for them, you know, see what's in their fridge, w w whatever it might be. Yeah, no, there's a, a certainly no, no end of opportunity, but I think the one that always... Um gets to me is that you can often use it to actually drive your car these days and or at least manage it uh, such as telling it to uh, turn things on and off but perhaps yeah. driving is is still some way off yeah i mean i think let's hope so given uh, some of the accuracy of the, of the commands <laughs> but when when we when we're talking about voice assistants who are the you know some of them are very common but who would you who would you say are the kind of main players in the market well i think we all know amazon's alexa uh, google have got uh, Google Home, Apple, Siri. Siri was actually the first real one of these, um, and it's often taunted as being the most useless. 
Uh, and then Microsoft have Cortana, uh, which we all know from our from our work laptops, or most of us do. Um, the other companies that are involved in this shouldn't be neglected, though. There are companies such as Nuance Communications who provide a natural speech recognition uh, service, for example, in vehicles. Uh, and third parties generally can offer integrations into a recognized provider's software. So if you run a service that you think would benefit from being linked to, say, Amazon's Alexa, you can often now perform the integration and allow the Alexa to perform certain commands. Of course, that comes with a certain risk because as soon as you allow third parties into the software, you get another point of egress for data. Um, so a bad hacker could potentially use that to exploit a vulnerability. Yeah, and, and I guess that's probably a good point for us to see, you know, where data protection comes into this and what kind of data protection protection issues can arise um, in, in relation to this voice assistant software. Yeah, and I think the first thing to point out is that voice assistants ingest an absolute mountain of our personal information because as soon as you say the wake word it begins listening and recording and this can be from benign commands such as remind me to buy milk or turn off the lights but it can also include deeply personal things such as information about our medical appointments uh, and what they are information about our conditions uh, if we're asking for for example amazon's got a tie up with the nhs that allows people to ask for information over their device about their symptoms and what potentially the condition that results from them is. Um, and you never know, we may even be able to bank with them one day. Uh, so as you can see, hugely, hugely sensitive information there. Uh, but the bottom line is we treat our vo virtual voice assistant as a trusted confidant, much like a family member. So they really carry the same duty of confidentiality in that respect. Uh, since the computing power required to understand a processor command is necessarily greater than what can be included in the device, all of this processing of the recording happens off the device in the cloud, so in the servers of the companies that, that provide them, and, and this could be anywhere in the world. This means we're trusting these providers to handle this information very safely, um, and in several cases over the past years, those providers have come up a bit short in this obligation. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen lots of kind of media stories about this sort of stuff, which have crossed over, not just, you know, in the kind of privacy privacy world, but actually into the kind of mainstream, um, a lot of which are kind of, you know, scaremongering to an extent, but I think it is a really emotive issue. So I know you've got a kind of very dangerous example to, to kick us off with. Yeah, all of these, you know, definitely elicit a giggle, but they have some very serious consequences. And, and you know, this one is, is a case of a woman in Portland who discovered that her um, home device had been sending private recordings of their instructions from their home to one of this woman's husband's employees. And, you know, when you, you think about that and you think, how, how has that happened? And, and there probably is a, you know, a logical explanation and it might even be a degree of human error in it. But it's still scary to think about. And on the other end of that spectrum, there have been reports of devices going rogue and talking to their users without there having even been a command. And a London user uh, famously reported coming home to their device, spitting out old commands to book train tickets or to record television shows that the user had already watched or, or bought. Um, and on a similar line, a user from San Francisco reported that their device actually activated itself and said very creepily, every time I close my eyes, all I see is people dying. So all very, very dystopian. 
Yeah, it does sound very kind of Black Mirror to me. Um, but we've also seen um, some concerns about who actually gets to to listen to our voice commands. So it came into the, the public's awareness uh, in 2019. There was a kind of spate of stories in the media that many of the many of the providers employed human reviewers to listen to our recordings, uh, which is when I believe that the word listen actually becomes uh, legitimate in this case. Uh, and the purpose for that was was clearly logical. You know, these devices these devices need to be trained to improve the algorithms and a human is well placed to review you know what might be a mistakenly actioned command and set up new rules that will then help the voice assistant respond correctly next time that will make sense you know language is very nuanced and often specific to small co cohorts of people there might be particular accents involved etc the suggestion in, in some of the media reporting was that the big players were perhaps less than open about when and how the recordings could be analysed and indeed where they were then stored. And, and this was despite the fact that actually in many cases that the human review element was disclosed to users uh, in the various T's and C's. But, um, you know, perhaps people were, were a bit surprised about that um, and hadn't been aware of it. And people's fears about these recordings actually existing have then been realized as there's been a number of kind of data leaks or data breaches involving those recordings. And I think in that context, it's really easy to see this causing, you know, distress to, to data subjects. Um, and that's particularly the case when you hear stories that the human reviewers have been known to, to listen to and transcribe ongoing crimes like domestic abuse or have been privy to other kind of sensitive or private interactions such as sexual encounters or you know doctor patient conversations that kind of thing um so uh, you know as you've already touched on Jamie this is this is really the kind of most sensitive and, and private data that that we we would really be sharing about ourselves Indeed, I think the moral of that story is keep it out of your bedroom um, <laughs> but one of my one of my favorite um ones of these stories is the incorrect trigger words now to you, does Alexa sound like election? And does Cortana sound like Montana? And uh, yes, if we're honest, I think I think you can agree with me on that one. But there's also distinct elements of it that aren't the same. And you would like to hope that they could possibly pick up those differences. It always reminds me of when you're trying to give your postcode to someone on the phone and you're saying M or P, which sounds like N and B. Um, and worryingly, these similar patterned words that, that these devices pick up can cause a device to start listening, which means that they'll be transmitting content of an entirely private conversation, which had no intention of being submitted to the provider, who might be even put that conversation to subject to human review um, on the basis that, well, the machine doesn't really understand the command because it was never meant to be listened to, and therefore it goes into the line of, of queries to be solved. And such triggers can even come from the television. Um, so it may not even be you who's speaking. And famously, South Park took advantage of this in, a, in an episode where the nefarious Eric Cartman caused many households across America to assemble an absolutely disgusting shopping list, which I won't I won't detail on this podcast. Um, Burger King also took advantage of this famously with Google Home, uh, which triggered their devices to tell users what was in a Whopper burger. But Google uh, very quickly, within about four days, I think, took action to shut down the specific command that it was hearing from the television. Um, but again, you know, just funny stories, but actually with potentially serious consequences. 
Yeah, because I, I, th- I think, you know, it makes sense also to, to just take a quick look at this from a data security perspective. So I think with all this data being ingested that we've discussed, I, I know there are a lot of perhaps valid concerns about who else may be listening. So beyond, you know, the device or software manufacturer and their employees who, who may be listening for a legitimate purpose, you know, to improve the algorithms or whatever. But but what about the data security? Who else might get access? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that's you know, a very interesting point between data protection professionals and, and the companies that, that provide this software. The actual data security elements of these devices is quite simple. You've got the device itself that could potentially be uh, broken into uh, digitally, and then you've got the actual te- uh, recordings and things that go off into the cloud that could be could be leaked. Um, so phishing is the first example, I think, which is which has become quite prominent over the last couple of years. And this happens on a virtual voice assistant where a third party app can take advantage of certain features of a voice assistant. These are known as actions or skills. So these are tasks that the provider of the voice assistant is selling to third parties to say, we can do this if you would like to integrate. Uh, Amazon and Google are probably the number one providers of these these actions and skills. Um, Malicious developers can then create a snooping app that passes the test to be able to use the skills, so the audit, and then perform snooping functions as a result of their their integration. So, for example, a phrase can activate the listening agent, so OK Google or Alexa, and then the response by the third party is designed to actually keep the listening channel open. And I appreciate that's a little complex, but essentially what you're getting back usually Alexa or Google Home would shut down after it's given you that response unless it gets a further command. But these third parties create, or the malicious third parties, create a response that's designed to keep the channel open without prompting a further response from the user. Uh, So this means that the subsequent conversation is recorded up to a timeout point. And again, we go back to this idea of, of people listening to you without any idea that, or you don't have any idea that they are. Um, The second one that is perhaps a little more niche, but it is interesting nonetheless. And, and, and that's this idea of, of the device being targeted and hacked by a physical thing. And, and these devices obviously are set off by audio, so sound waves. And therefore, it's highly possible that companies can create sonic targeting that essentially creates a frequency that we can't hear that does set off the device to record. Uh, and this can even be done with lasers as well. So it's all very uh, very Star Trek in 21st century. Um, researchers have shown that the devices can be manipulated using laser targeting into listening for a certain extended period of time. And I think when I think of this one, the first thing that comes to my mind is government agencies, really, is, is, is what the snooping implications are. But in any event, it's clear that government agencies are starting to use recordings in their investigations. You know, the FBI have been famous for this over the last couple of years. So to the extent that they are listening in, even absent a hack, just simply from their powers, is, is unknown. But I think we can safely assume that they're not interested in the contents of, say, my shopping list. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll kind of cut it off there before I put my tin hat on and go and climb into my bunker in the garden. Um, I think we, we can agree that voice assistants have, have come a really long way in recent years and as we've discussed their their involvement in our lives is a lot greater than it used to be and we're now starting to see some kind of regulatory guidance catch up with this um, particularly from a from a data protection perspective uh, the european data protection board 
guidance on VVAs has has been released uh, recently. Jamie, I know you've kind of had a look at this in detail. What what was your impressions? What, What did you think of it? I think it's useful to a point. Obviously, it's one of the more focused guidance that the um, the, the board has produced. Uh, another example that springs to mind is the connected vehicles guidance. Uh, and it just shows that the supervisory authorities are taking this seriously. And as the technology continues to expand, the guidance will quickly become out of date, is, is probably my first reaction. It does a good job of explaining who the players are, and that's quite helpful when breaking it down, especially for practitioners. And it's clear that if you want to integrate your app into a service or a voice assistance, then then you do need to adhere to the guidance and consider the, the things that you won't have considered. Um, and it highlights how the voice assistants may use your voice print to identify you and stresses the importance of providing a special protection because this is you know, biometric data. This is the data that can actually identify you through something that you are. Um, so that that's quite useful. Mm. Well, one of the interesting challenges, you know, I think is around how to present clear messaging to a user, if, you know, for example, around consents or, or sharing of their data. Uh, you know, how, you do, how do you provide clear messaging to a user on a device that has no screen? Um, Does the guidance touch on this at all? It does, it does. Um, What's clear is that voice assistants and third parties providing services through them can't shirk their obligations to provide a notice when when the user sets up the service, and that's the crucial part. They can't bury voice assistant terms and conditions in all sorts of other terms and conditions, so Amazon can't include Prime and other stuff that they sell and their Alexa terms and conditions all in one bundle. It has to be clear and distinct. Uh, And then the guidance recommends voice-based interfaces for giving the privacy information where there is no uh, screen-based interaction. Um, And I don't have one, but I dearly hope that the notice is abridged because actually you'd be listening for hours uh, for it droning on about your subject rights. And I don't think that's very (laughs) user-friendly. Yeah, I think we could agree on that. Um, So thanks very much for your time, Jamie. I think we're going to call it there. We've run out of time for now. I think you know we've only really scratched the surface here in discussing some of these topics. So please do get in contact with either of us uh, via the Bristow's website if you'd like to discuss further, or of course, if you require any advice in this area. So thank you again, Jamie, and thank you very much for listening.